Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled, The Commission. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 to 22, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Most of the time when God calls us to do something, well, he doesn't spell out the details. And for my part, well, I'm thankful. See, there have been a number of things that I've done in obedience to God that had I known some of the difficulties that would be involved, I think I would have shuddered and hesitated. But in most situations, God has given me what I needed to know in the present hour. And then as things unfolded, there was as much knowledge and power as I have needed as I have faced the immediate situation. And and that was enough. God has never failed, even when things got tougher than I had imagined. There was always as much grace as I needed. But God is God. I mean, he can and does fashion and shape each commission individually. And, And what I mean to say is that he may choose to tell a great deal more at the very beginning of our commission. I find it fascinating that when God called Moses to deliver Israel from bondage, look right at the outset, while Moses is standing at the burning bush, God gives him a fairly detailed description of both what he's supposed to do as well as what awaits him. And I've wondered why God gave Moses such a clear picture at the very outset. And I suppose one reason might be that Moses was most uncertain at the start. God's telling him, I've already planned the details. Now, as we study the book of Exodus, we'll have come to terms with the fact that God already planned to harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, the often asked question is, how can God harden anyone's heart from obeying him? And does God still do that today? And if so, I mean, who is God anyway? But those questions lie in the future of our study. And today, we're going to look at Moses' commission. God has called him, and now he lets Moses know what he is to do. And as we're going to see, God already warns Moses, look, there's going to be a considerable fight ahead. It's as if God is saying, you're going to have to factor this in. Know now what the future holds. And, you know, that's an important lesson for us, especially when we've been faithful and our circumstances turn out to be much more difficult than we had ever imagined. I mean, we might in moments like that be tempted to wonder if God has abandoned us And we might cry out, Lord, I mean, do you no longer answer my prayers? But God does answer our prayers, even if he, for his own purposes, has designed that the pathway we will travel is going to be a difficult one. In the passage we're examining today, we're going to note that there are four commands in Moses' commission. That is, God tells Moses what he's to do and what he's to expect. The first section outlines Moses' task to convince Israel that God is about to act to fulfill the promises he's made to them. And we call this section Moses assuming the role as the leader of Israel. And with that will come the promise that Moses is going to be successful. And we call this command, it'll assume the role of a leader. Then second, Moses will, taking on the mantle of leadership, confronting Pharaoh and making demands. And we'll call this second command, take action. You know, the third, Moses is to know there's going to be significant opposition, but God is going to intervene. And we call that command, win the battle. And then in the fourth command, we're told that the victory will be so decisive, he will be commanded, plunder the Egyptians. So let's start with the first section or the first command or job one of what Moses is supposed to do. 
go to Egypt, and then immediately assume the role of the leader of all Israel. Now that, as we will remember from our study, is quite a command. I mean, after all, the very last encounter that Moses had in Egypt some 40 years ago was when someone brazenly told him, who appointed you ruler over us? And that was his repudiation. You might have defended an Israelite slave, he was told, but no one asked you to do that. And furthermore, no one is asking you now to defend anyone, even into the future. And as we know, Moses was called upon to flee. And for the next 40 years, he had enough time to contemplate his failure as well as his reduced status. He had gone from prince in Egypt to defender of Israel to a shepherd in the wilderness. And with each step, he had taken one step lower, one more step of humility. But he had embraced that as his life now. But then came the burning bush and then came the call. Now comes the commission or the details of his job description. Job one, go to Egypt and take leadership of Israel. Become their president or their prime minister. You are to become their head of state. So I'm reading now Exodus 3, verse 16 to 18a. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. See, the task could not have been clearer. Go to Egypt, and when you get there, identify the elders, the leaders of the slave nation. Call them to a meeting, and when you do, say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the never-changing, eternal and holy God, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yeah, your God and mine, he appeared to me. And we have to assume that at this juncture, Moses is supposed to faithfully relay what happened at the burning bush. There Moses will tell them, God called me to come to you. I would have stayed where I was, but God compelled me. And then he is to convey what it is that God has told him to say. The words, I have observed you, would mean more to them than simply that God is in some disinterested way watching the cruelty of the Egyptians and the the groaning of the Israelites and the history of what they've gone through. I mean, the idea of watching them, that's to give the impression that he's looked on them with an eye to rescue them. And then with that, Moses is to refer to the promise. God is about to act and bring Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, a land that's now inhabited by others, but it won't be that way for very much longer. And that's Moses' job description. He doesn't have to worry whether he's persuasive enough. All he has to do is report what God has said, be content with that, that job description. That can't be too hard. Now, I can't help when I read this to take it very personally. See, I have for many years now felt I have a job description. I have been a preacher now for well over 40 years, and in that time, I have believed that I need to remain convinced that I've got personally nothing to say. I'm not here to share what John Newfeld thinks or how he sees the world. All I need to do is faithfully restate what God has said. My task is to teach Scripture, verse by verse, line by line, and give all my energy into faithfully teaching that which is found in the text of sacred writ. Simply repeat what God has said. Let my confidence be in the word rather than in my own words. Don't embellish. Don't try to make scripture say more than it does or less than it does. 
but say what it actually says. Be confident in God. Let what God has said be that which persuades. See, that same principle is also true when any believer today shares his or her faith with others. Tell others what God has done. Show them in Scripture what God says to all people. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't add to it. And don't worry about whether that word is going to be received or rejected. Simply reproduce what God has done, what God has said. And that's not that hard. Well, very good. That's Moses' task. That's all he has to do when he meets with the elders of Israel. Tell them that God is about to fulfill his promises. You're the generation that God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, will fulfill those promises to you. And you're going to be led out of Egypt and into the promised land. Look, God is about to act. And then comes the promise. God says to Moses, they will listen to you. That is, leave it up to me. I'll soften their hearts. I'll cause them to believe. And I have to imagine here that that Moses was incredulous. This was not difficult to do. That's not where Moses should have struggled. But he must have wondered whether the expected results were more than he could believe. I mean, he might have asked, I mean, why in the world should they believe me? But again, as we've seen, that part wasn't Moses' responsibility. God would take care of that. Now comes the second command, the second part of his commission. The commission is take action. Don't just end the meeting with the elders by having coffee and then waiting for the next meeting to roll around. Immediately go to Pharaoh, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, before we deal with the impossibility of this working out, I mean, let's consider the fact, at least from our vantage point, that Moses doesn't appear to be asking, you know, that Israel leave Egypt permanently. Instead, he seems to be saying, you know, can we have the weekend off so we can have special religious celebrations? So from our way of reading that, we might wonder if that request was actually a lie. Because we all know they weren't going to leave for three days. They were going to leave forever. And Pharaoh seems to know that as well. Would you like to receive all of the latest Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt, Bible teaching and encouragement resources directly to your inbox every Monday to Friday? Then be sure to sign up for the free daily audio mail. Every day you'll receive an email containing links to all the daily Bible teaching programs, newest blogs, and all the audio and video messages from Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt. Once you sign up, all the newest from Dr. John and Phil will be one click away. So to subscribe for audio mail, visit backtothebible.ca and at the bottom of the page, you'll find a simple sign up form. Now all your favorite resources will be sent to you every weekday. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 and we'll make sure you receive the next Back to the Bible Canada audio mail. Was God asking Moses to lie to Pharaoh regarding his real intentions? Get him to agree to a three-day leave of absence, and then, you know, we're going to be right back to work when it's all over. And as he's waiting for them to get back, Moses would, you know, try to get out of town as fast as he could and never look back. 
I mean, it's kind of like getting out on bail from prison, promising, you know, to show up for the trial, only never to show up. And it might seem like that to the modern reader. You know, in discussing this, commentator Douglas Stewart thinks that contemporary readers might not understand how people in the ancient world made requests. Instead of asking for something straight up, as many of us are accustomed to do today, ancient Near Eastern people used suggestive, restrained, and limited ways of asking rather than coming straight out and asking. And Stewart also thinks that if we think about it, you know, modern Westerners do the same thing, although it's not as readily apparent to us. He uses some examples. Let's say you're watching TV and you say, you know, please hand me the remote. Well, that's not really what you're asking. For sure, you are asking for the remote, but you're also asking to control what everyone else is watching in the room. You're asking, I would like to control the entertainment. You know, he gives other examples. And we say to someone, have you got a second? Well, we're not asking for a second. What we're really saying is, I'd like to have an indefinite amount of time with you, but it seems indelicate to say that, so we say, can I have a second? Or you're in office to see someone, and the receptionist says, he'll be with you in a moment. What the receptionist really means is, you know, just keep waiting. He's going to be with you whenever he's free to be with you. But again, we don't say that because that seems rude to us. So we say just a moment without really indicating how long that moment is going to be. It's going to be entirely up to the person that we want to see. So with that as a background, let's get back to the matter of this request that Moses and the elders of Israel are making to Pharaoh. Please let us go into the wilderness for a three-day journey. Now, a three-day journey is an idiom, or it's an expression for saying, we want to take a major trip. We're, we're going far away in order to worship. We're going to be gone for however long we choose to be gone. Now, we, if you're not reading the story for the first time, we all know that they're going to Mount Sinai. And they're going to be there for two years in order both to worship and receive the law of God and to establish godly principles as to how God is to be worshipped. That's what's going to happen. And after that, well, we'll see then, won't we? But you don't say all of that. Instead, you simply say, give us three days in order to go into the wilderness to worship. That's like asking someone, have you got a second? We all know they're not asking for a second. No one imagines they're asking for a second. So the first part of the job description was this, go to the elders of Israel and tell them, I am now your leader. And the second job description is to take the elders and ask Pharaoh to give all the slaves an indefinite amount of time off. I remember years ago visiting, you know, with some of the Baptist Christians in Romania, and they told me that just before communism ended in Romania, their leaders had written the cruel dictator of Romania, and they articulated what religious freedoms they wanted. And then they prayed, and they were quaking with fear. And in the meantime, a revolution was underway in the country. The dictator was killed, and the leadership of the Baptists, they called for a thanksgiving to God. They were spared the wrath of the dictator. See, I wonder if after Moses heard this part of his job description, whether he felt, you know, it's sheer madness. But God isn't done with Moses' commission. Here now comes the third command or the third thing that Moses is called upon to do. Once Moses and the elders have issued their request, a battle will be underway, and Moses is going to be called upon to win the battle. And we might hear, you know, echoing through the corridors of time, hear Moses saying, you asked me to do what? So let's read Exodus 3, 19 to 20. 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it after he will let you go. See, the first part of verse 19 strikes us as, you know, being somewhat obvious. Pharaoh's going to say, no, not on your life. Or he might fall off his chair laughing, or he's going to lash out in rage. But however he responds, be it mild or extreme, he will not let you go. No ancient king would ever allow a group of slaves to take an indefinite time away. That's not how the ancient world worked. And it's right here that we see the role of faith. Moses has heard God rightly. You march the elders of Israel into Pharaoh's palace. You make that request. And then I, if I, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who made a covenant with them, if I don't intervene and do what I promised, you're going to be in a bad way. You know, Moses, having no resources to back up his command, is now placed in the role of the man of faith. Or, you know, the kinds of things the people of faith have always done. They've counted on God to keep his word. You know, in this way, Moses is no different than any of us. We know that the only way we can be convinced that God has truly forgiven our sins, eternally accepted us into his presence, is that he's promised us that in Christ, through the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, our sins have been removed. We've only God's word that that's true. We're going to trust God, and more so, when we lie on our deathbeds, will we trust that since we're united with Christ, that we will also be united with Christ in his resurrection. We've only the promise of Jesus that he will keep that word. Now, those are the big hunks, the big pieces of our lives where we will be called upon to trust or to fall in unbelief and die. But there are countless other moments where we also must trust. You know, I have a friend who used to be a Bible smuggler back in the day when in the former Soviet Union, you know, to bring Bibles in, meant that you were subject to an immediate prison sentence of 10 years. He told me that, you know, when they met to deliver Bibles at an agreed upon point, that was the time when they would again say, I trust God. See, there are countless places in the life of every person who's faithful to God, where we're going to be called upon to either trust a promise that God has made to us or to fall into despair and unbelief. You know, when disaster comes to us, will we trust that God causes all things to work together for our long-term good and God's eternal glory? Or are we going to lapse into unbelief and into bitterness and despair? See, faith. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell him that you're taking Israel away for an indefinite period of time. And when you do that, wait for me to act. And just in case Moses is wondering what God's going to do, God tells him. He's going to strike Egypt with so many wonders that in the end, Pharaoh's going to have no alternative but to let him go. Now, we who read this know that these wonders are the series of 10 plagues that are going to decimate Egypt, its economy, as well as every single family in the land. Egypt will be humbled and humiliated and terrified, and they will have no alternative but to do this. But Moses doesn't know this yet. But he does know that God will reveal his power in Egypt. And then lastly, the commission. Moses receives his final command. After all this has been done, here's a fourth thing that you must do. Like any conqueror, you are to plunder the Egyptians. Exodus 3, 21 and 22. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. 
and shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, here's the promise. When you leave Egypt, you'll not leave as paupers. Look again at verse 21. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The meaning here, the wording, favor in the sight of, or as other translations say, make Egypt favorably disposed toward. That wording is the same wording that we find in Genesis 39, 21, where it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, in Joseph's case, he's thrown in jail. God caused the prison warden to view Joseph with honor rather than to see him as the subject of disgrace. And as a man of honor, Joseph rose in position and status in the jail. See, it's the same idea here. The wider Egyptian population, and here we're not talking about the ruling elite or the religious elite, we're talking about the rank and file of Egyptians. They would view Israel not as an enemy, but as people who are to be honored and highly thought of. And so, Israel is to, on the way out, ask for clothing, for they're going to need lots of it. And they're to ask for silver and gold, for they're not going to leave in poverty, but in riches. So the women should go through the neighborhood knocking on doors. And amazingly, God's going to assure that every woman gets far more than she asks. And they're going to give not just a bit, they're going to impoverish themselves to give things to you. How's that for a commission? Moses has to decide, doesn't he? Even as we also have to decide, shall we believe God? And if we do, isn't it time to act on that belief? Thanks for your message, John. You know, life is tough. Life is difficult. Uh, Terrible things happen that we witness every day. So what is it that we base our faith on or, or what are we placing our trust in? Yeah. I mean, you know, I know the common response. We're trusting in what Christ has done for us on the cross. We know that his death is a substitutionary atonement. He took our sins upon himself. Uh, we took upon ourselves the righteousness of God, which is given to us and is counted uh, to our benefit. So, I mean, yes, that is our trust. But every single day, we also have to make a decision whether or not uh, we will trust in that which God has directed us to do. We'll trust in the promises that he's made to us. And we'll also, uh, as we you know, make everyday decisions uh, that we're going to have to ask ourselves, will I put my trust in God? Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This Thanksgiving, We give thanks for every listener and all you do to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Your prayers, gifts, and encouragement mean so much and are truly essential in making every Bible teaching broadcast and resource possible. We're also grateful for words of encouragement, words like those shared by Julie. Throughout the years, your daily radio program has been such a blessing in our home. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. The ministry of Back to the Bible Canada happens because we all join together with a common heart to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of the Back to the Bible Canada ministry family. For more information, 
or to send a note to let us know how Back to the Bible Canada has impacted your journey, visit backtothebible.ca slash impact and click send your testimonial or call us at 1-800-663-2425.